One thing that to me has been non-negotiable is my ability to listen to mentors and to really seek out individuals that have been there and done that. Whether they've been successful or not, sometimes some of those mentors that have great experiences around failure and oftentimes business plans that didn't work out often have some of the best advice and really have helped pave my way throughout my entire career. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. On today's show, we've got Scott Gladstone, the owner and founder of eMotoring. You can find him at eMotoring.com. If you're looking for an easy way to get a car, check out eMotoring.com. Scott's going to talk about excellence being about authenticity. He's going to talk about identifying and using mentors and the non-negotiable elements of listening. And finally, the harder way is the better way. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time to be on the Edge of Excellence podcast. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Matt. I've really been looking forward to joining you. You know, I've been a big fan of the podcast. I'm a fan of yours and the opportunity to share my story uh, and hopefully help some of the listeners out there is uh, a great opportunity for me and something I've really been looking forward to. So happy to be here. Thank you. Well, the listeners are in for a treat today because many of them are car people and Scott's a car person. Many of them are business people and Scott's a business person. And we're going to start off like we always start off with a pretty tough question, Scott. What is your definition of excellence? My definition of excellence is one that probably changes on a daily basis, depending upon my state of mind, the venue that I'm in. But there's a common theme, I think, that runs through every definition that I have, and that is authenticity. When you can live an authentic life and you can be true to yourself, it gives you the runway to really create some unique opportunities and experiences, both personally and professionally. And that's something I really try to hold true um, to every day, um, whether it be at home with the family, whether it be at work. But it's being my authentic self, being true to what I value, and also being authentic in my behavior with my clients at work. And we'll talk about, I I hope, throughout this podcast, this relationship between entrepreneur, between business leader, and the clients that you serve, whether they be your internal clients and that or customer. And those could be employees and coworkers, or they can be your external employees and clients that you're serving every day. So you got to be authentic. You got to be true to yourself. 
You've got to live the person you are. And then you're able to perform better in whatever you're doing. You're an athlete, you're a musician, you're a clergy person, you're a business person. You have to start with authenticity or you can't be excellent. Is that what you're saying? You know, I I think in summary, yes, Matt. You know, if you're not being authentic to who you are, your passions, really following those guiding principles that you've either grown up with, that you've developed and cultivated as you've grown through school and different work experiences. But I've learned, and I'll share with you a little bit about this story, is if you're not authentic, it really, it drains you emotionally, it drains you physically, and it takes that energy away from you being able to create and being able to produce and give back to your community, whether that be in the workplace, at home, or in your neighborhood. Wow. So you've got an interesting work history. You started off uh, going to the Harvard of the West and you spent four years on the beach in Santa Barbara, getting probably the most premier education in the world. You came out of there. uh, You started Sparco, uh, the helmet manufacturing company, race car company. You moved from there to Anna's Linens, where you became CEO. Then you were COO of, I believe, one of the largest car dealerships in the world, right, McKenna? Um, And then now you've got this whole new business, e-motoring, where you've taken the car buying experience and made it actually pleasurable, which is one of my least favorite things to do before I met you. It's a really interesting path. And I'm sure somewhere along that path is where you discovered this need and this passion for authenticity. So how'd you figure out that you needed to be authentic and you couldn't fake your way through? Like some people on this call might be trying to do. How did you figure out how to be authentic? And how did you figure out how to turn that authenticity into such a successful life? I think it really starts. So let's, I'm not going to bore you with my educational background. You, you obviously mentioned the Harvard of the West. I'm quite proud of the fact that I was actually able to graduate from Santa Barbara and mitigate all the distractions that were available to me. But leaving Santa Barbara, I really had a passion around finance. And I knew that I wanted to do something uh, that was rewarding, both financially, but also emotionally and gave me an opportunity to be somewhat creative. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household. My father was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. And, you know, I like that ability to create. I like that ability to be flexible. And I like that ability to really give back uh, to those that you're working with and around. So I left Santa Barbara. And I took a very traditional path, and I want to go down the path of finance. I worked in uh, the financial services industry for a firm called Bear Stearns, which is no longer around. And in that environment, it was very apparent to me that this was not for me. I loved the context. I loved the theory. I loved the financial industry's world. But culturally, it sapped everything from me. I was working 100 hours a week. I was working with people that really did not care about the customer. They did not care about building long-term relationships. They were what I really referred to as economic animals. 
There is one thing that drove them every day, and that was the dollar. And fortunately, I saw pretty quickly that it really wasn't that rewarding for me. And that wasn't the path that that really fit my vision for who I was, who I wanted to be, and what I ultimately wanted to create for myself professionally. So I stayed at Bear Stearns for almost three years, but I I made the decision early on, there must be something better for me. I'll backtrack a little bit. You mentioned the automotive industry. That was something that I held near and dear to my heart. I was an automotive enthusiast from early on. I love cars. And I like to tell people that if you were to cut me open, I'm going to bleed oil. I'm a car guy. And when I was 16, on my 16th birthday, my mom took me out of school. I got my driver's license. And that car and that license represented freedom to me. I didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have the ability to follow what our friends were doing on Instagram and TikTok. I had to actually get in my car and go to my friend's house. And that freedom was everything. So fast forward, I'm passionate about all things automotive. I have always been a networker, building relationships, both personally within my social circle, professionally. And while I was at Bear Stearns, I had an opportunity to meet a company in the automotive space that had this little unknown brand that flew under the radar screen called Sparco. Sparco was an Italian company founded in 1977 by two automotive enthusiasts. I knew of the company just being so passionate about the automotive industry, the motorsports world, anything to do with auto racing. And I met an individual in LA who just happened to know the two founders of this company. As we were having conversations around, you know, my passion for the automotive world, he told me, he goes, Scott, why are you focused on the financial services industry when you speak intelligently, passionately, authentically about the automotive world? Help me bring this brand to the United States, help me take your passion and really launch this new company in the United States. So I had an opportunity to meet the founders of Sparco. We connected. They loved my vision for the brand, but I told them I have a small little hurdle. That is, I didn't have any money. And so if we're going to launch this company, how are we going to do it? So I made a proposal to them. I said, give me the inventory. I'll sell it. And when I sell it, I'll pay you back. So I'm 23. I didn't have two nickels to my name. And I thought they were going to laugh at me and decide to use somebody else to bring their product to the United States. Uh, Fortunately for me, I think my passion was evident. Uh, I created a level of trust, I believe. And in the matter of Six months, we hammered out an agreement, and we launched Sparco USA uh, at 23 years of age. Wow. So funny thing, uh, today I'm going to lunch with Jill, and we're going to lunch with one of the past managing directors of Bear Stearns, who's Jill's uncle. And his son uh, worked at Bear Stearns, too, and now is the president of Goldman Sachs, Joe John's boss. 
Uh, so we have a family relationship to Bear Stearns, um, and he did very much like working at that company because he had a different passion. But what an interesting story you're telling. You go, I mean, Bear Stearns is the same as Goldman. It's one of the top um, investment banks or was one of the top investment banks in the country until the 2008 crash. Lehman Brothers fell as well. You had one of the premier jobs that anybody could get out of any college, and you're the second person that had that job that I've interviewed on uh, this podcast podcast, you decided it wasn't right for you. And that's okay. So you're paying attention to your feelings. You're paying attention to your passions. You're starting to figure out who you are at 20, 21, 22, 23. Then you're open-minded enough to have a peer mentor say to you, hey, dude, you're in the wrong place. Why don't you go spend some time in the place where your passion lies? And then you took a chance. So there's the uh, in tune with who you are. If you're listening, in tune with who you are. What do you like? What do you don't like? Looking for input from mentors, whether they're the same age or older. Taking a chance. And then my favorite, delivering on your promises and building trust. So there was a process that was going on around you that you were attentive to, to figure out what you really wanted to do with your life. I think that's very, very well put. You know, one thing that to me has been non-negotiable is my ability to listen to mentors and to really seek out individuals that have been there and done that. Whether they've been successful or not, sometimes some of those mentors that have great experiences around failure and oftentimes business plans that didn't work out often have some of the best advice and really have helped pave my way throughout my entire career. And so learning how to seek out counsel from you know, those that have either been in your industry, whether they be friends of the family, whether they be professionals that you encounter, but surround yourself with individuals that really take a genuine interest in who you are and what you're passionate about has been invaluable to me. A general interest in who you are and what your passions are. Yep. And it goes back to that authenticity. You know, that to me, when you have that genuine and authentic connection with somebody, whether it be in your personal relationships or professionally, you break through all of the, the masks that everybody wears every day to work right and everybody presents they're wearing they're wearing a mask and they want you to be they want you to see them as somebody they maybe aren't and i've learned when i can create teams that have that ability to really take off the mask when we have teams that are able to have those really honest conversations and ask for help ask for guidance and counsel that's when the magic happens. And this, this is a selfless podcast. And again, I appreciate you making time out of your busy day to come on and help other people. I find, and tell me if you agree, there, there are people that want that mentorship and seek out people that have been there and done that, but they're not giving anything back, right? They're take, take, taking. Um, then there's others, and we both have a lot of them around us that we're happy to help, happy to stop doing whatever we're doing, want to... Um, do anything we can to impact their lives because typically they're taking risks. 
they're letting their guard down. Um, they're giving something back. And sometimes all they give back is their genuine passion and appreciation. So how do you deal with the kind of tendency to maybe feel like a mooch if you're out there? I mean, I feel like a mooch. I feel like I'm, I'm mooching off of you right now. Um, I'm asking you for a favor. How do you get over? Because a lot of times people that are really palm down givers, how do you get over the feeling that way? I'm taking advantage of this person. They don't really want to spend time with me. Am I asking them too much by picking their brain on what they've been there and done before? I don't think it's as common as, as we all believe. You know, everybody, I think, naturally has this tendency to not want to inconvenience others that don't want to, you know, really bombard others with either your problems, your insecurities, your questions. And there's an inherent tendency, I think, to not reach out, to not ask, because you don't want to inconvenience. And I find when, when you actually really open up and you lean into that, that question, that request, um, with with a genuine curiosity or desire for help, I find people by and large are really willing to give a part of themselves back because the feeling you get from giving and helping is undeniable. And so I find most people really, really enjoy that opportunity to share a part of themselves, to listen, and not to feel that they're giving and giving and giving and you're just taking. Um, so that honestly hasn't been my, my experience. Okay. So every day you lead a life of authenticity. Every day you lead a life of non-negotiable listening. Every day you're surrounding yourself with people that aren't peacocking. They're not, they're not putting up a front. And you got to that place over time. So how quick in your professional career was it right out right after Bear Stearns, right when you went to Sparco? How quickly did you figure out you thrive in that environment? And how quickly did you figure out how to find that environment? You know, I, I was very fortunate. Sparco provided me with a platform to cultivate my leadership style at a very early age. Not a lot of people get an opportunity at 23 to launch a company to take full accountability from end to end, from supply chain, finances, HR, sales, marketing, and have that, that breadth of responsibility. And so, you know, I really, really am grateful for that opportunity to really fly without a safety net at a young age. And so I learned if I, I without a doubt, didn't have all the answers, I didn't even have some of the answers. But I knew if I reached out to others, they would help me. They would provide that guidance and counsel. And so I did just that. Uh, I'm a constant, constant uh, believer in surrounding yourselves with individuals who know more, who have more experience, right, or more intelligent, and really opening your ears and listening. And so I've always done that. And so even when it started with Sparkle on a hiring basis, at 23, I was hiring people that were sometimes 10, 15, 20 years older than I was that had far more experience. And I knew the only way I was going to be able to grow the company 
is to surround me with individuals that could help teach me while I was providing them an opportunity to grow and and really have something they could create on their own. And there we have another set of mentors. So you had mentors that were older, younger, uh, more experienced, and now mentors that worked in a business that were reporting to you. So basically, you spend your life looking everywhere to see what you can learn, who can you learn from, just sucking in as much information. And through that process, you figured out the environment you thrive in, and you've built these businesses that allow you to thrive. Absolutely. You know, and the one thing I learned very early on with Sparko is my passion around the automotive industry, my passion around entrepreneurial uh, opportunities is undeniable. My challenge around execution, delegation, operational efficiencies, and some of the things that I just inherently have learned about myself that aren't my strengths really gave me the opportunity to then augment the business with those individuals that that absolutely thrive in those areas. And so I'm a big believer at an early age of of trying on a lot of different hats, not getting stuck into a routine or a business or an industry that you've subscribed to some vision, that's who you are, and that's who you're going to be. Who you are at 19, 20 is very different than who you are at 29 and 30, let alone 40 and 50. So don't be afraid to try on a lot of different hats and fail. You're going to have a lot of failures along the way. Wow. So you moved from Sparco. Why did you move out of Sparco and over to Anna's Linens? So I had a great career at Sparco, and we had built a brand that that I would say to this day, is the premier brand in the automotive aftermarket and motorsports community. And we built that brand around creating this trust between the products that we are manufacturing and designing and our end user. And to me, that was something that was, again, non-negotiable. We're building a brand that people were using in the premier forms of motorsport all over the globe from Formula One and World Rally and IndyCar and NASCAR. And the top racing drivers in the world were using this product to save them in one of the most dangerous sports in the world. But they had to have trust in what we were delivering and they had to have trust in that we would deliver time and time again. And over my tenure at Sparco, I really believed that that trust was ultimately the definition of what a brand was. Whether you're Nike with the swoosh and the just do it, or you're any other brand, the customer wants to trust that their experience interacting with you is going to meet or exceed their expectations time and time again. And that's how you build that brand equity and that trust. Fast forward to the end of the tenure at Sparco, uh, we decided after growing the business that the time was right for us to, to have a financial event, to sell the business. My two partners in Europe were coming to a point in their life where they wanted to monetize the company. And so we sold the company uh, in 2003. The private equity firm that purchased Sparco at that time, uh, at that time I was 32. 
I was too young in their mind to run the global entity. And they brought in a professional manager uh, that had tremendous pedigree, Fortune 500 companies, leadership positions all over the world. And in the course of two years, it became very clear to me that the company was going in a direction that I could not embrace. So you jump ship. And next thing you know, you're the CEO of a $750 million linen company. Yeah, it didn't quite. Yeah, it didn't quite happen like that. So the uh, the the segue from Sparco to Anna's Linens was one of you know uh, family, uh, family duty, opportunity. My father, like I mentioned previously, is an entrepreneur, uh, and I was very fortunate to grow up in a household where I got to witness uh, somebody create something really from scratch from a legal pad of paper and turn it into a several hundred million dollar a year business. And he did that um, again with passion and a lot of humility. And, uh, and so as Annis was growing, Sparka was coming to an end and there's a tremendous opportunity to join the family business, to take some of that leadership equity that I built at Annis and fine-tune it at Anna's Linens uh, with the family business. So I joined in 2005. Anna's was growing. We were growing in a category uh, that was really serving an an underserved consumer. And it was a wonderful opportunity, a lot more structure than I had at Sparco. Certainly a, a larger business. But again, it was a theme that I was very familiar with. Surround yourselves with great talent, hire great people, give them the tools to succeed, and also deliver a product to a consumer that meets and exceeds their expectations every day, provide value. And so it was a great opportunity. And I spent, I spent 10 years at Anis, and we grew that company uh, during some very challenging times. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. So... Uh, before we get into what you do now, and many of our listeners are in college, just out of college, you went from high school, and before we started recording, you're talking about the lack of support you had from the college counselors in high school. You end up in the number 32 ranked university in the country, the greatest school of all time, UC Santa Barbara. You did something in call in high school to get you there. 
Then when you're in college, I went there too. I didn't get a job at Bear Stearns. You did something to get that premier job. What did you do in high school to separate yourself? What did you do in college to separate yourself? How did you find this path of authenticity that led you to this wonderful, fulfilling career of impacting others? So I've always prided myself in being a worker. I've never been ashamed of putting in a full day's work, and I've never been afraid of it. Um, to this day, I know you and I still have some funny conversations on a Friday at 7.30 p.m. where I'm still in the office. That's just who I am. And I really, I, I enjoy it. So, you know, I've never been the smartest guy in school. I've never been the smartest guy in the room. And that, that humility has served me very well. So I knew I had, to, I had to outwork the next person. And so that's what I did in high school. Uh, I delivered the grades. I put in the work. Fortunately, I was able to have choices whether it be UCLA, USC, Santa Barbara. And for me, being a California kid, I knew that picking the campus closest to the beach was the one that was the obvious choice for me. So Santa Barbara, you know, uh, was another great opportunity. Surrounded myself with some lifelong friends that I'm still close with today. We have a relationship over the last 20 plus years that's you know, just as real, just as genuine as it was when we were sophomores at Santa Barbara. And so I work, I put in the time. There's no way you can get around that. You got to put in the hours. And two, you have to surround yourselves with like-minded individuals. I have always believed that your peer group is an immediate reflection on who you are and your value system. And it's the one outside influence that can torpedo your vision faster than anything else. So you got to surround yourselves with like-minded individuals. Yeah, I'm partners in that the company College Works who actually uh, puts on this uh, podcast for me, my my passion project. And we don't offer College Works everywhere, so you know it's a great way to do what you did at Sparco. You get to be in charge, you get to run everything, but we only offer it like ten or eleven states. So you've given an opportunity for people to kind of think outside the box. How can I get all that power? And it's the right word. How can I get all that responsibility? Um, and if you go out and grab it because you're a hard worker, because you know where you're getting, you can turn it into something like being the president of a company at 23. You also are repeating something that I hear on this podcast a lot about the peer group. Nicole McMacken said, your net worth is your net work. And she was, the, I think, the second podcast I recorded. Mike Cato was the first or second. He always says you're the sum of your five closest friends. And the funny thing is, I the biggest cause for failure at College Works, and you know they're they're starting a business from scratch, working their butts off, sweating and crying and bleeding and all the bad things. The biggest cause of failure is mom, because many of them go home and live with the moms. And the moms say, hey, don't work so hard. Hey, we'll give you some money. Hey, and that peer group is negatively influencing people that are trying to get going. You're talking about the friends that are saying, hey, come smoke weed with me, Scott. Hey, why are you working so hard? Let's take the weekend off. So how, whether it's mom or dad or friends, how do you tune out the negative and how do you latch onto the positive? I think it, it's all around us. Just just look, you, you mentioned those friends at whether they're 16, 26, or 36, and sit down 
you know, in a quiet place and really think about who, who do you want to be? What is your ideal life when you're living, you know, your highest and best life? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And if it's playing video games and smoking weed all day, kudos to you. At least you're being authentic. But I think for a lot of people, you mentioned it very clearly. When you're enabled, when you're not challenged, it's too easy to fall into that sense of complacency. And um, fortunately for me, I had two parents that said, if you want to drive, then you need to pay for it. When I was 16 and got that first car, that you know, hand-me-down gold Volvo station wagon diesel that barely ran, I had to figure out how to put gas in it and pay insurance. So I had to go get a job at the grocery store bagging groceries while I was going to school, while I was playing high school sports, and I figured that out. But I was also creative. I also realized, you know what? Bagging groceries wasn't getting it done, and I didn't enjoy it. So what did I do? I went and parked cars and I was a valet at night so I could, I could go to practice. I could get my homework done and I could go park cars and make cash and surround myself with nice cars, drive nice cars. And I didn't go park cars at the restaurant that, you know, only had 10 visitors that were complaining about paying the valet fee. I said, why don't I park cars down on the water in Newport Harbor where all the wealthy people lived so I could drive the nice cars and get the big tip. So it's just a question of, you know, again, looking through the front windshield and the runway that's ahead of you saying, you know, what does that look like two, five, 10 years down the road? And who do I want to be? It is so hard to be a father, by the way, as you're talking, I'm thinking about Jacob Michael Stewart. Jacob Michael Stewart, if you're listening, this is where this comes from. All the grief I get for making him buy his own car. And Jacob Michael Stewart is going to be starved into submission over the course of the next year because he hasn't put enough time in this summer. He hasn't saved enough money and he's got a, an advantage in, you know, He's a wealthy, he's the son of wealthy parents. You had an advantage. You were the son of wealthy parents. Sean Baldwin, I love talking about Sean Baldwin on this podcast because he hates when I mention his name. The son of very wealthy parents. And I always admire, because I grew up, you know, I wasn't poor. I was poor at one time and then middle class. My parents made me do things, but part of that a necessity. I always admire the parents that have all the stuff and still get their kids to get that worker mentality. I worked hard because I was broke. I worked hard because I saw rich people and I wanted to be like them. I worked hard because I had a horrible private school experience and I felt like people were looking down at me and I had to kick their asses and I had a chip on my shoulder. But there's some people listening to this and some of them may know me personally and may have gone to that school on the hill with my boy. How do you get how did you get that drive? Was it that your parents forced you to pay for everything and you hated working at the grocery store? What did it to say, hey, I'm not just going to kick back and, and smoke weed and wait for the inheritance checks to come in. What got you to go off and be a self-starter and Sean Baldwin and Danny Sunshine to be self-starters coming from a very different background than most people that we all know? No, I, I think it's twofold. One, it's you know, a part of who you are. I don't think you can deny some people either have that drive in them at birth, or some people don't. Um, and then you talk about being a product of your environment. 
it's clear that the role models in your household, the value system within your family plays uh, just a massive role in who you are as an adult, as as a student, uh, and that value system. And so there's no single formula or there's no magic bullet that says, if you do this with your kids, they're going to be a success. You know, it's it's like cooking a, a meal on the stove. You have all these different burners going at the same time and you have to turn up the heat on some, turn down the heat on the others. You know, if you have two kids in the same household, why does one become a success and a self-starter and the other stay home and play video games all day? Everybody takes all the inputs from the community and the world around them and turns up the volume on some of those messages and turns down the volume on those that they don't like. And it's up for, you know, the family, siblings, parents to maybe turn up the volume a little more on certain messages because certain individuals just can't hear it, you know, the same way. Yeah. So I, I've turned the volume up on work ethic because I was a hard worker and Jake, man, this guy is the greatest negotiator of all time. This guy's the greatest deal maker of all time. It's unbelievable to watch him work. And he's able to, I mean, he works really hard in school. He works really hard on his friendships. He doesn't like to work for the man. He doesn't want to go do the man's job. And so I'm manipulating him and telling him he has to and forcing him to because I've got my set way of thinking. You're kind of saying the same thing. You're, you're driving in your car right now. You're 22 years old. You're listening to this. The reason why you need to work hard isn't for the money. The reason why you need to work hard is what, Scott? Sense of self-respect and pride. You know, there's no denying that creating something, putting in the effort, being part of a team, right? Surrounding yourselves with others is invaluable to creating a sense of self-worth, self-esteem. And when you have that, you're going to be a much more valuable part of your community and society at large. You know, look around you. You know, we live in a world today where a lot of people have their hand out. We're coming out of a pandemic lockdown where the world's been absolutely turned upside down. Governments all over the world have had to figure out how to support people. And some people have took this opportunity and absolutely run with it and have thrived. And others have realized, hey, maybe I'm comfortable existing on a lower wage, a handout, if you will. And that's going to exist all around you. But I only view this as becoming a bigger issue going forward, where those that don't want to just exist, those that just don't want to survive are really going to stand head and shoulders above the others. I don't think there's ever been a better opportunity to go out there and create, whether it be a vision for a company, a vision for yourself, to really explore opportunities like there is today. You know, when, when I came out of college, I didn't have this thing called the internet. If I wanted to go build a product, sell a product, it was laborious. It was painful. Today, the world is at your fingertips. 
There's no excuse in my, in my opinion for an individual not to educate themselves, not to really go deep into those things that they're passionate about and figure out a way to actually, you know, leverage those passions to make a rewarding and excellent career for yourself. Yeah. So back to your definition of excellence, it starts with authenticity. You got to know who you are. You've got to pay attention, try to figure out what makes you feel good. What makes you feel bad? Surround yourself with the right people that will support you and listen and then work hard. That will create the prosperity. Whatever you do, you could be, you could be selling cars. You could be slinging paint jobs. You could be operating on hearts. You could be um, building a church. Whatever you do, that's kind of the process that's worked for Scott. That's kind of the process that worked for me. I want to get into what you do as an entrepreneur in your daily life because I find that many people in their 20s don't really understand or know. They haven't been exposed to kind of what you do. So you take your authenticity, you take your listening skills, you take your speaking skills, you take your finance skills, you take your well-developed and well-educated brain and you go to work every day. Um, what skills do you need to be an entrepreneur in the automotive world? What skills do you draw on the most every day? I think the one to me that stands head and shoulders above the rest is being a problem solver. Identifying a problem, and sitting back and really creating through this. I know Danny Sunshine was on your podcast earlier and he talked about empathy. And there's absolutely no denying that if you have an empathetic approach to problem solving and you put yourself in your customer's shoes, the solution's pretty self-evident and clear. And you know, fortunately for me, like I said, I'm not the brightest student in the class. But there's no denying in my industry, going to a car dealership and purchasing a, a car is a very painful, time-consuming, unrewarding experience. Just so happens, automotive retail, the car dealership world, is the biggest form of retail in the United States of America. There are 15,000 new car dealerships throughout this country, another 35,000 used car dealerships. And it is without question the lowest rated consumer experience in this country. We have 50,000 businesses of pain is what I just heard. Yeah, so it doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to realize if the model's broken, if there's an unrewarding experience that, that is the overarching theme for most consumers, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. And so I took that challenge, that opportunity, if you will, and said, well, what do I know? I know the automotive industry. I know automotive retail. I know how to create a, an experience for a customer that exceeds their expectations time and time again. So how can I do that in the world of automotive? You know, that's the North Star. That's the question that I, I set out to answer. And fortunately for me, you know, it was, it was pretty simple to do. Um, I spent my whole career building a network. And I said, let's test it. Let's test that, that concept that I have with my network. 
And, you know, if my friends, if my family, if my network sees value in it, we have something. So you don't need to go raise money to create a company. You don't need to have this sophisticated business plan and banks involved. Identify the problem, develop a solution, and go test that thesis. So that's entrepreneurism, right? You find a problem, a problem plus solution plus people plus passion equals entrepreneurship. You did mention something in there that I just want to make sure we flag. Uh, an entrepreneur thinks of a challenge as an opportunity. That's the way we think. So you, you kind of slightly mentioned that uh, it's a challenge, uh, therefore an opportunity. That's entrepreneurial mindset. If you have that mindset, you're on your road to being an entrepreneur. And Scott just lied to you. And that's also uh, entrepreneurial mindset. He said it was very simple to do. Building his business was not simple. Building his business was not painless. Building all four of these companies was not simple and not painless. But because Scott's authentic, because Scott enjoys what he's doing, because Scott's in a position to where he's able to be creative, it doesn't feel hard. It doesn't feel hard for me to work with college kids because I love it. It doesn't feel um, it feels simple for Scott to go to work at seven in the morning and leave at seven in the evening on a Friday. It's not simple. It just feels that way because you've got that mindset and you've got that passion, right? I think you caught me saying something that, that I find myself saying too often. Oh, it's easy. I can't tell you how many nights that I've been awake in bed at three o'clock in the morning, even over the last year. I'm 50 years old. And at three in the morning, I'm wide awake and I'm stressed. I'm stressed about finances at work. I'm stressed about satisfying the customer demand. I'm stressed about 30 different things that happen during that day at work that create that anxiety, that stress. But I want to trade that for the world because it drives me and it fuels me. And I, and I tell everyone that I know, if you wake up in the morning and when you're feet hit that floor and you're not excited to go charge full steam ahead into the day, you're not doing the right thing. However, however, there are days when you don't want to go do it. There are days when you had a bad day, but the majority of the days you're excited to go do it. And the majority of the things that are hard are better. Hard is better. As the Dalai Lama said, that which brings short-term pain brings long-term gain. You and I don't like easy things. You and I get a hard life, get a hard job, have a hard business, and then we add another one. And then we go volunteer somewhere. And then we go help a buddy out. And then we do something else because entrepreneurs and high-achieving people on the edge of excellence thrive in a world of it's hard, right? This country was founded on, on sacrifice. Back in... You know, the early 1900s, the 1800s, you name it. People were working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Your grandfather, a great-grandfather, you know, working in a factory, working in a job just to provide food on the table during the, the Depression. That's not easy. And so I don't, I don't want to fool anybody and, and say, this is easy. This false narrative around social media and these lives that are created, that's not real. 
that's not real. It's work in equals gain out. And you got to put in the time and you got to put in the effort. It's work. They don't call it going to fun. They call it going to work. But you and I have fun at work. But you and I enjoy it. But that's a choice. That's a choice, Matt. Being happy, having fun, that's a choice, right? Asking somebody to make you happy, asking somebody to make something fun, that's not fair to that individual, right? That's not their responsibility. How you take the world in, how you receive those experiences, those are your choices. Yeah, that's true. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in changing the definition of some of the stressors in the world that, to saying, yeah, they exist. Now what? Well, they're, they're a sign of progress. Stress is a sign of progress. It is very deadly, so I'm not endorsing people get too much stress. But if you don't have stress, you're not progressing. You're not doing something big. Unhealthy stress, uh, stress that's debilitating, certainly is unhealthy. Stress, though, can be a very positive experience, whether you're at the gym and stressing your body to grow, whether it's in school, taking a class that you completely have no reason to be taking, i.e. calculus, right? That, you know, is a challenge in of itself. Those stressors help you grow, help you evolve. Well, Scott, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I know we're going, uh, we've got a little bit long. I do have one more question for you because I can't let you leave without my favorite question. What is the biggest sacrifice that you made in your young years that you've never regretted and you would encourage your young self to take again? I think you have to take the, the emotional risk, whether it be in relationship, whether it be in your career, but don't fall into this false sense of security as to who you are or who you think you are. Always challenge that. What was the emotional risk? I think for me, it was one, leaving college, telling myself that the world of financial services was, was going to be the definition of who I am. And, and the more money I made, the more self-esteem and, and the more success. I was going to have and the, and, and the more confidence I was going to have as, as an individual. And then I went to living on, you know, macaroni and cheese, starting Sparco, not having two nickels to rub together and being happier. So, you know, don't fall into that narrative that you've created for yourself as to who you are. Listen to others and, and, you know, I always find it interesting when you hear others speak about you, who you are, what they like about you, how you make them feel. It kind of gives you a, a vision of who you are through others. And it's, it can be very enlightening. And so to me, you know, making the sacrifice to make myself happy, not financially secure, was one of the great, uh, the great risks that I've taken that I'll, I'll never regret. And to tie it into what we talked about before, you never really know who you are. We talk about figure out who you are, surround yourself with like-minded people, work hard, be authentic, but you challenged 
who you thought you were, because at 20 years old, you don't know for sure. At 50 years old, Scott and I don't know for sure. So you're open-minded enough to challenge that narrative and go out there and see if you got it right. So you sacrificed your narrative to find the right narrative and you never look back. Yeah, I, I like that. You you mentioned um, this quote earlier, your net worth is your network. And I love that because I genuinely believe that that network you have both socially and professionally, when they answer the phone, when you call, that's to me the greatest sign of actual value that you're providing to that individual because we all live in a world where we're inundated with texts and phone calls and emails. So when somebody picks up the phone, when you are on a first name basis and you say, Hey, you know what? Let me call this person. And they answer or they respond. That means that you're now in this bi-directional satisfying relationship where they're getting something from you and they're happy to give something back to you. And that network to me is invaluable. I built my career on it. Well, Scott, thank you again so much for making the time. It's always a pleasure to see you. I'll probably see you this weekend. Um, I hope you have a wonderful work day. You only have nine more hours left on this Friday. And thank you for joining us on the Edge of Excellence. Matt, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a tremendous honor and a tremendous pleasure. And uh, I'm very grateful to call you a friend and a mentor. So thank you. And uh, hopefully there's some nugget of value from this. Oh, there's a lot of nuggets. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.